and welcome back for this week's episode of the Dragon Heads Podcast. I'm your Master of Ceremonies, Thorn Rain. With me tonight, just one of the co-hosts. We've got Dragon Joe. Uh, Kyle had some uh, some things going on, so he had to step out for tonight. So it's just me and Dragon Joe tonight. How are you doing this evening, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, happy to be here, you know what I mean? It's one of those things that we didn't get to play D&D this past Sunday. So it's like, I still, like, I'm, I, I'm itching for some D&D right now. Yep. I understand that 100%. A uh, lot, of, lot of things going on. It's the summer. Things come up. Uh, we've had some issues these last couple of weeks getting to play some games. Looking forward to getting back into it, but hopefully everybody's doing good and, and everything's okay right now. But let's let's get this show on the road. We've got one bit of news here. Um, surfing the, the old D&D Reddit, I came across uh, production has wrapped for the new D&D movie. I didn't even know that they were filming a new D&D movie. Uh, it's got Chris Pine. It's got Michelle Rodriguez. Um, sounding like it could be pretty interesting. They're really looking to push it. And this isn't the only thing that was in the article. I guess uh, Paramount is also doing a TV show based inside of the uh, D&D universe. Uh, but there isn't a whole lot of information about that that I could find. I'll be 100% honest. I'm more interested in a TV show because, like, the D&D in general is a long-form story. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at Critical Role, you look at um, any of the – they talk about this is a long-form story where you're telling a story that has a lot of twists and turns, a lot of sidetracks, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And – it's really hard to boil that down to a, a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour movie. And that's been one of the problems that they've had every time they try to make a D&D movie. It becomes, I, I don't want to say cliche, but it becomes very, oh, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to have a dragon attack, and then we're going to have the, the party come together, and then they're going to fight the dragon and yeah. beat the overlord. And it it it, just, it always seems very cliche. It always seems very um, like very predictable, and and there'll be usually like one little twist that you're like, okay, that was kind of cool. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that this movie isn't the same. Um, it looks like they're actually getting good actors. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I like Chris Pine as uh, Captain Kirk in the the Star Trek movies. Um, and Michelle Rodriguez, uh, I will be the first to admit I'm not a huge fan of the Fast and Furious franchise, <laughs> but I still respect it for what it is because, and, um, I think I heard a Bria Iengard say this, uh, on, on one of the episodes of EXU where it, they're not worried about real world physics. They're worried about Hollywood physics. Yep. And if you're into that sort of stuff, great. It's like, I, I like watching cool cars, but it, it got to the point where it was a little over the top for me. But that, that said, she's one of the staples to that series, and she's a great actress with that, you know, with that in mind. And I, I, she's one of the people that has helped that franchise stay alive. Um, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic 
Yep. But we'll have to wait and see. Yep. Again, it's, it's I, like, the, the new... Go ahead. I was going to say, it, it had like a couple dates in there, but it's not looking like anything's going to be concrete until like early 2023. So we still got a while before we get the movie or the TV show, but it's one of those things, like you said, cautiously optimistic. Like, I've seen the old D&D movies. They are cheesy. Like, they're rough. And it was it, it, it was it, very much somebody in Hollywood said, hey, we can try to capitalize on these stories because there's a bunch of people that like this stuff and did not give any, like, regard to what the actual story should have been in in those movies. You go so far as to say they capitalized on the name. Yep. Even more so than, than any of the story. It's just they're like Dungeons and Dragons. People all are all over anything that says Dungeons and Dragons. So let's let's get that. And it, it's like every time they were they made it, they made it as a B rate movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like no name actors, no name director. Like they were doing it super budgety. And it's not like they they went out and found like uh like Kevin's like a young Kevin Smith to do it they, or uh you know someone of that caliber to try to lead the lead a project like that. Instead, they're just like oh, we'll throw we'll slap dash it, throw it together, use some duct tape, use some zip ties, it'll be fine. And it made them enough money that they were happy. Yep. So hopefully this this goes in a completely different direction, and we actually get a just fantasy epic. Uh, delivered to us that hopefully uh, launches a whole franchise of movies and TV shows that we can all enjoy and love. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Only bit of news tonight, so we're going to roll right down into our top five. We are talking Paladin Magical Items. We're going to give our top five for each of these. So, Joe, why don't you start us off with your... Number five. Well, I would first like to say that um, uh, in the Discord, uh, had Hunter uh, request that hey, we're we're looking to we want to see some top fives of magical weapons of different for magical items and stuff for different classes. So we're slowly starting, and it, it took us a little bit of get you know getting getting there, but uh, we're starting with the paladin because that's the one he requested. Join the Discord. You never know. We might do your top five. But uh, my number five is uh, the Winged Boots. And these are a huge magical item for the Paladin especially because of the fact that they have they, they have heavy armor. They have they tend to have, you know, a big weapon and it's usually a melee weapon. And it becomes one of those things where they if they need to attack something like a dragon that's flying or a beholder that's flying, you have trouble getting to it. So the beauty of it is, okay, I'm gonna I have these winged boots. I can fly up there now and it's smack it, you know. And that's the that's the beauty of the winged boots. It, it's one of those things that where like a ranger would use winged boots to get distance, they're looking to close distance with them. They're looking to get up close and personal with that, anything that is flying, anything that is trying to get away from them that way. And it can be really work, great. Now, with item allocation in the group, 
will the Paladin always get the winged boots? Eh. But I, for reference, it's one of those things that it, it could be a great item for Paladin. Um, number four is uh, for me is the Ring of Evasion. And the reason I, I picked the Ring of Evasion is because while you can build a dex-based paladin, usually you don't. So one of the big faults, I guess, of the paladin is that they are always going to see it always seems like they're going to fail dexterity saving throws. If there's a fireball cast around uh, a paladin, they're they're looking at it and oh man I'm taking full damage oh man I'm taking full damage with the ring of evasion you're able to half that damage of whatever deck saving throw and you're able to do that three times a day and it it just does a lot for you and it, it's one of those things that the, it, it doesn't sound like it's oh it's insane but that damage when you're able to half that damage and have that damage like multiple times, oh, yeah. it can be a lifesaver and it can be a lot of um, just preventative damage or alternating damage, however you want to state that. Um, then uh, number three, I, number three is a little funny because I, I grouped these two together. Uh, the flame tongue and the, the frost brand they do the same thing it's just different types of damage um the idea is is that you want some sort of weapon that deals extra damage when you hit people um the flame tongue does uh does extra fire damage the frost tongue does extra ice damage i, I conversely they're they're the same to me unless you're like like you're doing something like Descent to Avernus where fire damage is pretty much nullified by everything or everyone's resistant to fire damage, then it matters. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's like you're you're taking a idea of, well, do I want cold damage or do I want fire damage? And they're interchangeable to me unless you're in, in a situation where you need one or the other. But they, the the idea is is you, you're a, you're one of the guys that are going to make multiple attacks. You're the guy that is going to want to roll that extra damage every time you hit, and it's just the exact thing that you really need for that. Um, number two is is a really rare item, but man, it is one of the coolest items that a paladin can have, and that's an animated shield. And the, the beauty of the animated shield is with a bonus action, you can basically make it float, and then you can go two-handed. So you can use that greatsword, you can use that halberd, you can use that glaive. And it's one of those things that you get to keep the AC. It kind of has um, – I'm trying to think of uh, – uh, a good example of that have where they have like a shield floating and taking damage for you, but it 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 does that, and because of that, it's it's one of those really awesome items that's just oh wow, this is perfect, especially if you're a two-handed wielding paladin, and you're like, well, I I don't normally carry a shield, well suddenly you carry a shield and you're just like bonus action, protect me, rawr, and you're able to still two-hand. 
It's great. Um, and then the last but not least is uh, the belt of dwarven kind. And th this this item is really underrated by a lot of people because they're like, oh, it's just a plus two year con, and you get some poison resistance, and you can grow a beard. But the thing is, is that improving your con improve gives you more HP. It gives you more. Uh, it gives you advantage against poison saving throws, and it gives you all of the class features that would normally be with a dwarf. And the beauty of that is, is that unless you are a dwarf paladin, it really helps you. Like all, everything that it gives you is useful, unless you already know dwarvish, because you get to learn to read and write dwarvish. You get the. Um, the plus two to con, you get the poison, uh, the resistance to poison, uh, is it resistance to poison damage or is it uh, advantage against poison saving throws? I can never remember. Uh, you have resistance against poison damage. And you have advantage okay. on saving throws against poison. Okay, so both of them, even better. And it's like, and then you have the fun little RP of uh, you, you have a chance to grow a beard every day, which... I find funny, especially if you're a race that can't normally grow a beard like an elf or a Goliath. Um, and the the other the other funny thing is is it doesn't specify gender. So if you're a female <laughs> paladin with a, a belt of dwarven kind, you can still grow a beard. Um, but it, it it makes for interesting RP and it makes for you know some fun shenanigans. And then on top of that, it's just a great magical item. I, I, I'll be honest, for the for the paladin, for the barbarian, for the fighter, this is one of those like almost must-have sort of items. Like if you come across in a campaign, you're giving it to one of those three, um, you know, beefcakes. Yep. And it it is absolute my my favorite item for this class. So, so what are your top five, and, or, uh, Thorn? And looking at some of yours, I have similar in the idea of what they are, but different uh, different items altogether. So I'm starting off with my number five, which I probably could put it at my number one because it's just that good, but I like some of the other stuff going along, is uh, Sword of Sharpness. Sword of Sharpness... Uh, if you're attack attacking an object, uh, it's automatic max damage. If you're attacking a creature and you roll a 20, uh, automatically 14 extra damage on top of your critical roll. And then you get to roll a d20 a second time. And if you happen to get that lucky double 20 roll, you're severing body parts off of your enemy. Like, it, one, how cool is that? But that extra 14 damage on critical hits is that's a massive chunk of damage um but then you can also speak the command word and you're carrying around a torch um so this is one of those ones where i felt if you want to just go high damage yes you got to get that crit but when you get the crit you're already looking at putting out a ton of damage but then to throw on 14 more and then potentially wound a an enemy like you cut off a hand well now they either lose their weapon or they lose their shield if they're you know a shield carrier um 
could drastically change the way that the paladin fights against you know, some of their enemies. So then my number four, I took the Cloak of Displacement. Now, it seems a little bit, you know, underwhelming, but disadvantage rolls on every attack roll up until you're hit each round. So if you get hit in one round, your disadvantage to be attacked comes back the very next round. So they're constantly rolling disadvantage against you. This is one of those ways to help mitigate that damage coming in. Um, if you're not necessarily ca uh, carrying a shield, you can you can get around quite a bit of damage if they're they're not uh, rolling against you. Um, uh, see, yep, I think that was it on that one. And then my number three, I've got the defender. Um, kind of like the animated shield, kind of not because this is. A weapon that's got plus three bonus to attack and damage rolls. All right, that's cool. It's a lot of extra damage. But then, the first time you attack with the sword on each of your turns, you can switch up that plus three to also benefit your AC. So you can do one to attack, two to AC, two to AC, one to attack, all three to AC. You can break it up however you want. Um, and kind of, this is one of those ones where if you're, Carrying this sword, and you have a shield, you can go up even higher with your AC if you're looking at needing needing the boost in AC for that fight. If you don't need the boost in AC, you drop it all into the damage, and you just wreak havoc. Um, uh, yep. I think that was it on that. And then my number two. This was a big one when I was looking at it. Uh, the Amulet of the Devout. Uh, what this does is, while you're wearing the Holy Symbol, you gain a bonus spell. You gain a bonus to spell attack rolls and saving DCs of your spells. Uh, that bonus is determined on the rarity. You can either get a 1, 2, or 3. That's good. That's nice. But uh, kind of the big thing is, is you get an extra free channel divinity usage out of this. So you're now being able to use your channel divinity because I believe channel divinity is only once per long rest. I can't remember. I'm just looking into working on paladins twice. twice. So this bumps it up twice, to sure. three times. So you can use two of the mains and then one of the bonus actions, vice versa, however you want to do it. Um, I, I think it would give a lot of versatility to the way the paladin is able to play with that extra channel divinity usage and then having the extra uh spell attack and uh bonus to the saving throws isn't that bad now this was this was my big mitigation item here and that's the Mizium armor i like this armor because it nullifies all critical hits if you're rolled a critical hit uh, while you're wearing this armor, any critical hit against you becomes a normal hit. Dropping out that, that extra damage. But then on top of that, um, it allows you to make a uh, strength or constitution saving throw to take only half damage. Uh, well, anytime that you have to take a strength or constitution saving throw to take half damage on something, uh, 
you instead take no damage at all. So it's just a ton of mitigation coming from this armor, and you can get it from chain shirt all the way up to plate. So depending on how you wanted to outfit your paladin and really any character, I think that this is the armor that is by far my my number one because Fritz can do a ton of damage and just taking that off of the table it's going to save a lot of healing and stress on your party if uh you can mitigate that out of the fight I totally agree with you and the the only thing that I I'm going to I'm going to nitpick your list a little right, bit go ahead the the only thing I'm going to nitpick is is whenever I I I talked about these I tried to stay away from legendary weapons, and the Defender is definitely a legendary weapon. Um, oh, I didn't even notice the legendary. List. Oh, yeah. yes, it is. We did talk about no legendaries. I fumbled on that because, one. And, and, and for our viewers, the idea behind our, our top five list for items is we don't want to have any consumables. We don't want to have any legendary weapons because that's that, that kind of makes if you find a legendary weapon, that should be like almost a quest in and of itself. Like mm-hmm. if you are searching for the 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 sunblade, or you're searching for the defender, or the um, you know wh- whatever legendary item that there's only one of in the world, that should be like you have to track it down. You have to find out rumors and myths and legends about it, and they should be extremely powerful. That's the that's the whole idea of a legendary weapon. But for these lists, we want to hit the more more common items. And I, I was actually debating if I wanted to put the animated shield on there because it is a very rare item. But it was one of those things that it, it's such a good item that I'm like, you know what? I have to talk about it. But other than that, that is my only nitpick with your list. It, it, it's Other than that, it is great. Um, I know the Mism armor is from uh, Guildmaster's Guide Guide to Ravinka. Yep. And I, I I've, I've come across that um while looking through things, and lore wise, I don't know how I would have that fit in to like a, a normal D and D game that wasn't set in the Ravinka setting. I don't know if that would be one of those things like you come across like a dealer in like the, you know, somewhere in the plains, like it finds, you know, find a, a traveling salesman that has a random, you know, random set of armor that's from a plane that you've never heard of. But it would be uh, something like that would mm-hmm. be the way I would kind of do that. Um. And that, I think, is going to take us into our main discussion point tonight. Yes. Um, so our main thing that we wanted to talk about tonight was we, we were talking about um, paladins breaking their oath and becoming an oathbreaker, clerics denouncing their god, or a warlock breaking their pact. And it's weird because these three classes are kind of the only ones in the D&D setting that can do that. Um, we, we looked at druids a little bit, and we can't really, like, we haven't really thought of a, a, a way that a druid's going to, like, betray nature or betray their idea of 
nature because even if you're like a wildfire druid and you burn down a forest, your idea of burning down the forest might be, well, I have to recreate, um, I have to burn down the forest to create new life and create new uh, opportunities for new trees and stuff like that. So it's, it's one of those things that nature has that whole chaos circle of life thing going on that it's, it's really hard to truly betray it. But these three classes, it, it's one of those things, every one of them can be betrayed. So we're, we're starting with, with the Paladin. Um, clearly there's the Oathbreakers. And it's, it's one of those things that the Oathbreaker is, it's in the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, chapter four. And it basically talks about uh, an Oathbreaker is a paladin who breaks his or her sacred oath to pursue some dark ambition or serve an evil power. Whatever light burned in the paladin's heart has been extinguished, only darkness remains. And the idea is, is that if you become an Oathbreaker, for whatever reason, this Oathbreaker, you, you become this Oathbreaker and you are now devoted to something just evil or dark or um, you feel like you've betrayed whatever whatever your oath is. And I was trying to think of a, a good example of an oath, like a reason someone would be become an oath breaker. And I was I was having trouble coming up with one off the top of my head. Do you, would you, do you have a good one, Thorn? <laughs> um, actually, kind of. <laughs> uh. This very much fits into kind of the the character story that I'm putting together for our next campaign with the paladin that I'm running. Um, I didn't really give Oathbreaker a look, but the backstory for my paladin, which I'm not giving out here because it's got some cool stuff planned for it that I'm hoping to be able to to use. Um, but we could just say that I, I don't if, if a paladin was stripped, if, if a paladin is stripped of all hope and humanity from a foe and isn't able to see the light from his, from, from the oath that he was bestowed and loses so badly that it just breaks his faith in that oath, he would become an Oathbreaker. And you know the campaign that we're running, and I have, I have, I, I might actually change my oath in the Paladin that I'm working to run Oathbreaker because it fits more of his backstory than the one that I want to run. The one I want to run would well, probably be a better min-max, but I like this better for the story well i've got two questions for you then yep one what what oath would you originally take i believe i was taking uh let me see 
Nope, not that one. Uh, Vengeance. Vengeance. Okay. And how do you, like, and th this would be my question as a DM to a player that wants to do, you know, make a caveat into this sort of thing. If you are a paladin of vengeance, how do you break your oath? What is your, your like, what would cause you to break your, your oath of vengeance? Are you asking how would I go about, like, just completely separating myself from the oath of vengeance? Well, no, no, my, all right, so the the way I kind of see it is that if, if you are an Oath of Vengeance paladin, you have sworn this oath to seek out vengeance on something, like a dragon killed your, your parents or something, and you have sworn an Oath of Vengeance to kill that dragon. So if you do that, and then you find out that for whatever reason – the drag, like, like, how would you not, like, always have some sort of grudge against that dragon? Like, what would, what would you have to do? Like, would you have to suddenly become a, like a servant of the dragon? Would you have to be like in, uh, in that scenario? I would say that yes, uh, becoming a either a, a servant or an ally to either the, that dragon specifically or because in my thought, a uh, Oath of Vengeance paladin would be a vengeance against all dragons. But if a dragon came along and was able to persuade the paladin that that specific dragon isn't as evil as the other ones may seem and that they could work together and he sided with them, that very well could be enough to break the, uh, the oath, okay. even though he's not, he still might be out to kill the dragon that did him harm, but his oath of vengeance was against all dragons. And now he's siding with a dragon. Um, could go that way. Well, uh, for and, and what I'm planning, uh, it's more uh, vampire-based. Um, I guess it would be siding with or becoming a vampire. And the, like, and it, this is me just looking at the, the different oaths as we're, we're talking about this, but like, Oath of Conquest. Like the way I see someone breaking the oath of conquest is they try to um, like lead an attack on uh, a fortress or something and are stymied, you know, and just utter they, they they suffer some sort of utter defeat and to the point where they don't believe they can they can be a paladin of conquest anymore. Yep. Uh, uh, the the oath of devotion. It's one of those things of you're basically given that like impossible choice of like say say your devotion is to uh serve a royal family and the king's life is in danger but so is the prince sort of thing and you can only save one and you you feel 
um, kind of stuck in the middle there. Um, the Oath of Glory. Like, I, I, I see what that would be something like you would uh, have a you would be a famous uh, a famous paladin, but for whatever reason, like you, you're seen killing a little old woman, and that's that's looked upon as, oh, he he's a murderer. He's a the, he. There's no glory in that. There's just a a, a cold blooded killer. A, a surrendering enemy. Um, like if you killed an enemy who was on his knees surrendering, that could very well break that oath of glory. Right, right. And those are the sort of things that I, I would think about as a DM and as a player is, and you'd have to talk with your DM about it because you're going to be like, well, how do we make this transition? What needs to happen in the story to facilitate this transition? And with that said, uh, the, the next thing I want to talk about is a cleric. Because where a paladin is more, they're, they're, they're defined to an oath. A paladin is defined, or a cleric is defined to a god. And they're very unique in that aspect of D&D. Because, like, if you're a fighter or a barbarian, you don't have to worship any gods. You have an axe. You have a sword. You worship pain and brutality. Right. And the problem that that is presented with a cleric is that if you somehow disagree with your god or your god, you fall out of favor with your god for whatever reason of um, not being in the same ideals, not being in the same uh, thing, you know, and I, I was actually talk. I talked to my um, my DM in my other campaign. Whenever I was switching um, my cleric from a war cleric to an order cleric, and it was one of those things that we had this whole conversation. I'm like, uh, number one, I I told her I'm like, man, I'm not having fun as a war cleric. I'm not using my uh, channel divinities. I'm not getting any of my benefits from that subclass because. It was a little bit because of my stats. It was a, set, a little bit because of my play style, and it just wasn't working. But whenever I, I moved over and became an order cleric, everything clicked. It was all of a sudden, it was like my spells were more potent. I became kind of a battlefield commander with the voice of authority. It was one of those things that I, I really liked the way it played, and I was still a support character. But at the same time, like, I would I would get uh like I felt like I got a couple of like kills essentially whereas because I'm able to use a a spell on an ally and they're able to get an extra uh, an extra attack with their reaction and it kills the kills the monster kills the bad guy mm-hmm. and I I lost count of how many times that that happened because it was it was so prominent in that uh, in our group first off and. Because it it just seemed to work, it, and it was more effective than me making a attack with a spell or uh, you know something else. And I I really love the way it does. But my 
also in that campaign, my my god is Bane, which Bane is lawful evil. And I always played my paladin, I said, or my cleric as uh, lawful neutral. So I, I believe in the law, but I see the gray area of, you know, like malicious compliance versus, um, you know, following the law to the letter and people like gaining things from that. And it, it's one of those things that I could see a character where they have a, a a god like Bane or Asmodeus or um, uh, the Spider Queen, you know, the, these evil gods, and you, you actually come across and be like, you find something wrong with your faith, you know what I mean? And in the process of finding something wrong with your faith, you become that sort of triggered, what am I doing? how do I fix this? And if you do something like that, I, I, I think it, you could, it would allow you to change the subclass. It would, um, it, one of the things I think would be interesting is you might lose your, your magical powers temporarily, because if you've betrayed your God that gives you magic, well, they can take it from you. Yeah. And until you and, either fall back in favor with them or gain the favor of a new god, you're kind of stuck. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I like that idea of, especially if you don't know who you're going to go to, of helplessness a little bit. And you're you're at that point of, well, I'm a spellcaster, but I don't have any spells. I don't have any abilities and it makes for it first off it can freak players out and i i love doing that as a dm where players are like i don't know what i'm gonna do what am i gonna do so that's that's one of your the best feelings in the world as a dm when they're 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 like they're literally shaking in their boots because of the fact that they're they're scared they're generally scared for their character even if it's a higher level character like if you're a level 10 character and you suddenly lose all your magic and you're going what what am i gonna do swing a mace <laughs> you know swing a sword and, so and they're in, gonna have like a plus three to hit you know in that instance would you would you strip them of all magic or would you only leave them with like the most basic level one spells I would strip them of all magic, and what my my idea would be is if you once you strip them of all magic, they can't cast cantrips, they can't cast first level spells, they can't cast anything. It creates a sense of urgency, and because it creates a sense of urgency, you're going to see more people be like, "We need to fix this now," versus. Well, I can get by with level one spells. I'm not as efficient. No, you need to create a sense of urgency in doing it as as a DM, because if you're if you're a cleric, it's like, well, I can only cast some a few spells. I can't cast my big, you know, home run hitters. Versus, I can't cast bless on my party. You know, yeah. I can't cast level one cure wounds. Like it suddenly changes the dynamic of what you're doing because 
the party's like, we don't have a healer. You know, we don't have that that person that's all going to just fix everything. At that point, you basically so, have, like, with saying as nice as possible, you have dead weight. Because really, what are they yeah. going to do? Like, are yes, they swing that sword. What are they going to do? Like, three damage a hit and they get one hit a turn? There's no point. And the other the other idea is with that dead weight is how does the rest of the party react to that? Is there is their idea, well, we can't carry dead weight or we need to build them up to, to make them, you know, confident in themselves? Like there's a lot of ways parties can spin that. Because you'll get a party where they're like, You're dead weight, we're just gonna drop you off to the next town and maybe they might make a whole new character. Yeah. I mean, crazier things have happened, right? Or maybe they drop them off in a town, and this would be a great, like, if if you knew somebody was going to be gone for a couple of weeks during of, of in-game sessions, and they wanted to do this whole transition, drop the dead weight off in a town and have them make their own, like, find another god or find another uh, deity that they're able to connect with away from the party and then come back and be like, surprise, I've got my powers back, but they're a little different and they're a little new. Yeah. Which it, I, I love when players pull like surprises to the rest of the players. It, it's, it's always, it always creates wonder and it creates, you know, excitement because, oh, cool, you've got this new stuff. Oh, tell us all about it. Um, and the, the last one that we were talking about was the warlock, uh, warlock breaking their pack. I think this and is the most dangerous one. one. This, it, it is the most dangerous one, but the other thing is, is that they always see that they, um, the, the danger, the dangerous ones are the ones on, uh, they're they're the ones that are always going to be how do I put this? They're they're the ones that are scary. There's the ones that are all powerful, omniscient. Like they're these these eldritch beings that are like outside of the gods that are granting your power, or they're a genie granting you power, or they're a you know, celestial granting you their your power. And it's it's these super powerful beings that are like man what are we doing here and it just makes you interested because of the fact that you're going i like these ideas i like these things but the next thing you know you have this evil entity saying release me you know release me out into the world so i can destroy it and you start having these these second guessing of you're not sure what you want to do you're not sure if you want to follow the other thing and to play their hand they start taking your powers maybe maybe it's at first they they take it for a day maybe they during a battle they your your powers stop working you know they they try to leverage i i feel like this is this is one of those things where there's more about 
an entity that's either trapped or trying to get into the world or try to find things that they want, whether it might be a sacred item, uh, you know, some sort of gem, some sort of uh, focus, wh whatever it is, whatever MacGruffin that the, the Eldritch Horror needs to ena enact its plan. And like, I feel like players get caught in this a lot more than with the, like the clerics abandoning their god. Because they, this is one of those ones where it's like there's, there's something evil like inherent with the warlock like outside of maybe the celestial warlock which is uh, like it's it's its own entity but for the most part it's it's a great because of the fact that all the the warlock powers are are so they they seem so temporary and so like minimalist that when they lose it it's like holy crap i lost it now what do i do it's 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 that dead weight feeling again. Um, I know you you're not you haven't gotten super far into Critical Role, but Critical Role did a great um, transition with Ford because he didn't want to release Ukatoa on the uh, on the world unsuspectingly, and it just becomes very interesting when. You see that dynamic, and the rest of the party is sitting there saying, well, should we help him? Should we <laughs> stop him? You know, it becomes it becomes a whole, you know, party inter-party conflict, which, again, is great for any game like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've never even really looked into Warlocks and just kind of flipping through these. Because the one time just going through the classes to see what I wanted to play, I came to Warlocks, and I'm like, man, this seems super tedious and difficult to keep up with you know a, a patron like how far is the dm gonna push me on this so i've avoided a warlock for those exact reasons you talked about where like i don't want to potentially lose all of my power because the dm says oh it's time to check in with your patron what does he want to do he wants you to do this and it's something i'm not cool with Maybe he wants you to feed baby souls to him. Yeah, like, and I'm just like, I'm just like, eh, do I really want to sneak out while everybody's asleep and steal children and feed them to, you know, the fathomless or whatever? Your eldritch horror, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want to do that. That seems like, and I mean, I've only ever played with a couple DMs. I don't know how far any of them would have taken something like this, but every time I've played... I don't think I've ever played with a warlock, and I wonder if it's kind of like that people are people are timid when it comes to having to potentially make those choices in the game that they might not want to make or sacrifice their power. And going back to Critical Role, I remember there being a quote from Marisha that whenever she, whenever Ford was was between a rock and a hard place with a choice. And you got Marisha sitting there with her arms crossed like this going, this is why I will never play a Warlock bubble. Yeah. Because, like you said, they, they have to make those hard choices. And because they're forced to make hard choices, and good DMs are able to back players into a corner a little bit 
and force you to make a hard choice of do you follow what the what your patron wants or do you betray what your patron wants and if you can do that it makes for great role play it makes for a great game because that will be the most one of the most memorable moments of a campaign is when someone decides to betray a patron or betray a god or break their oath that they'll remember that more than the silly jokes that they'll uh they'll, they're ultimately going to make about you know whatever dumb name you've came up with for an npc yeah and i love the idea of being able to betray this ancient being whether it's an archfey a celestial a fiend a dream uh uh, one of the undead, uh, the undying, like all those different things. Just look at. I'm like, wow, you're you're really you're tempting fate with something that could crush you like a grape. And while I think it's the most dangerous one to play, I also think it's the one that most likely, like if if your DM wanted to play it because warlocks seek this just immense power that they align themselves with very dangerous and uh, otherworldly entities. It wouldn't take anything for a DM to be like, hey, this arch fay wants to make a deal with you. I know that uh, you already have a deal with a genie, but this arch fay over here might want to you know, sweeten the pot a little bit. Like, the switch for a warlock could either come or just straight be offered by a DM who wants to mess with the warlock in the party. The other thing I was going to say is warlock, I feel like, is one of the most, like, multi-class things in D&D. Because you have the the paladin warlock, you have the uh, the they call it the sorlock, the sorcerer warlock. You have the um, I'm forgetting what the third one is, uh, bard warlock, and all those everything I just said has a big emphasis on charisma as their main spellcasting modifier and everything there has stuff that works well together, whether it's, um, score three points and, um, uh, like the, uh, the short, short rest, being able to get two of your spell back, um, to the, the, the hex blade with the paladin is just retardedly good. Um, there's just so many things that have these great abilities and I'm sitting there going, man, I can see how all these, these multi-classes work together well and create a really powerful character and you're able to make it. Well, okay. I'm a, if I'm a sorcerer and maybe I meet an archfey. And the archfey says, well, I can give you more power. 
And I go, really? What do I got to do for it? We can work out a deal. You make some sort of deal with an archway. All of a sudden, you have you 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 have a level in warlock, and everyone else is going, "Well, wait, what are you doing, man?" <laughs> and it becomes a big uh, big caveat with the group again. And I I, I got I, I'm going back to forward and spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen campaign two. He had a moment where he betrays his, uh, it breaks his pact, and then uh, commits himself to the Wild Mother, and gets you know his first level in Paladin. So it was what this this big huge transformation, and there like there was speculation during that that section of recording of. Well, is he going to be, become a paladin? Is he going to become a, a fighter? Is he going to be a, um, you know, a, a a warlock with the wild mother? You know, like the not only did the cast not really fully know, but the the audience was stunned by well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I think that was part of their their whole thing is they wanted that uh, that intrigue and that mystery to build up and break ultimately and that i mean any good dm is is going is it, they want to create that moment where there's this build up build up build up and then it's you have two choices are you going to take the red pill or the blue pill mm-hmm. you know and that's that's ultimately all they ever you know you try to do um did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about with these um, breakers, for lack of a better word? Um, no, I think I think as far as like breaking your pact or your denouncing your faith or your oath, I think we we covered pretty much all of it in ways that you, as a player, could go about doing those things. Well, I'll, I'll ask one last question for you. Mm-hmm. If you ultimately break a pact or break an oath, do you think there should be an avenue or a road where the player could atone for having broken? Like, say, go back to your uh, Paladin of Vengeance, and you're suddenly helping dragons, but then you betray that dragon and kill it. Does that, and you're go back to your, you know, kill all dragons. I you know. Does that, does that atone for you breaking the pact or breaking the oath? I think that if, if done properly, you could, you could atone and go back. Dep- well, see, like it, I mean, I guess it depends. Cause like, we set up the scenario uh, in, I believe it was Glory, where you said Paladin kills an old lady, and I said kills, you know, a surrendering uh, enemy. Um, how do you atone for slaughtering an old lady or killing a defenseless, you know, surrendering enemy? Like, what would you have to do 
to be able to come back from that. In in the scenario with the dragon, yes, you could kill the dragon that you're working for. Um, I even think that if you could show that allying with this one specific dragon or type of dragon results in the death of many other dragons, you could even maintain your relationship. Justify it. Yeah, you could maintain your relationship with that dragon and get back into the vengeance because this dragon is on the same course against other dragons that you are. Um, so I see you could do that. But some of those other scenarios that we set up, I don't think you could. I think that it would come down to how you broke your oath. And if it's something as bad as like, slaughtering women and children, killing the elderly, um, you know, just mercilessly killing a surrendering enemy. Like, when you have an oath that you're supposed to be of, like, pure heart and body, and you do something like that, I don't think that you can atone for those things. So it would be a, a 50-50. Attunement is going to be based upon what they did to break the the, the yeah. oath, the pack, or whatever in the first place. Yep, that's that seems fair. And I the other thing is, is I would say if if ultimately your your path takes you down to killing a little old lady, and you're like, wow, I killed this little old lady. Well, I guess I can ultimately resurrect her. You know, animate. Uh, animate dead, you know, because that's that's one of the features of the Oathbreaker is they're able to cast and they're <laughs> able to cast those sort of spells. So uh, you so then you you kill the target, resurrect it, and then just go into a never-ending cycle. That's a little dark, I guess. That would be that would be a little rough. Like I don't know, I see and like. Priest changing gods, that's nothing more than showing your devotion to either the god that you lost faith in again or into another god. And kind of the same thing with Warlock. I think for, for the Paladins, getting back could be more difficult than either the Warlock or the Priest or the Cleric uh, because depending on what you did to lose that, to become an Oathbreaker, you might have a long, hard journey to get back to your previous Oath. Read all around. Yep. Uh, do you well, have anything else? I think else? that's everything. Yeah, looking at the... No, unfor unfortunately, no encounters this week because we kind of were busy this weekend. Yeah, every, every... Everybody, you had the the Browns preseason game. I had house stuff. I'm trying to purchase a house, so I'm going through uh, the good old uh, house purchasing hell uh, right now. So it's it was a very long weekend, uh, stressful Absolutely. weekend. Uh, but um, yeah, so no encounter this week. Uh, let us know if you guys want to see us. Give us some parameters. Uh, maybe we'll throw that up in the Discord. Um, but I do think that that last question that you asked me, I think that's going up on Twitter as a uh, Twitter poll and question. 
because I do like that, where if a paladin breaks their oath and becomes an oath breaker, can they get back? Can they atone? Can they atone? And should a how DM allow atone? them? Yeah. How would they atone? Yeah, I think I think that's a good uh, it's a good question for Twitter also. So we'll get that up uh, yep. probably tomorrow because it is getting kind of late over here. So we're gonna close up shop. Uh, we are Twitch affiliates. So if you happen to have an Amazon Prime, that means that you've got Twitch Prime. You can hit that subscribe button absolutely free. Helps out the show. And the first thing we're doing is we're getting Mr. Kyle a camera. Uh, I'm calling it now. That's that's where that first bit of money is going. We're going to get him set up so we can see his glorious face. Uh, but other than that, hit the follow button. We will shout you out on the show. Um, iTunes reviews. Uh, actually, no. iTunes is being uh, kind of a pain. And for some reason, they're not processing the show. I've got to look back into that because I keep getting like denied. And we're not a bad podcast. Like, we don't talk about bad things, and we don't say bad words, so we should get on there. Uh, iTunes is, man, they're they're like the cream of the crop, but they are a pain to deal with. But you can find the show over on Twitter at DragonHeads2. Email the show, DragonHeads216 at gmail.com. Email us those questions, comments, concerns, and ideas that you want us to talk about. Or you can join us over on our Discord over at discord.me slash dragonheads. Follow the show right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash dragonheadspod. Uh, go over to the YouTube. Just search for us. Uh, hit follow because it takes absolutely ridiculous uh, metrics to get a custom link. And right now it's just youtube.com slash blah, 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 blah. I can't even tell you what it is because it's just a bunch of letters and numbers in different uh, uppercase and lowercase. Uh, so go over there, hit that follow button or the subscribe button over on YouTube and uh, help us get our actual Dragon Heads link over there. But they, don't confuse us for the, uh, there, there's a Nor- Norwegian like metal band yeah. called Dragon Heads randomly, yep. which how would we ever know that until we search? Yeah, we had no clue until after we made all of the like all of the things for the show, and it's like, oh hey, yeah, there's there's this. That's why everything kind of had numbers afterwards because there's just random like nobody uses the Dragon Heads Twitch channel. It's a dead channel, but it's there, so I can't use it. But, finishing this up, we record live Mondays, 9 p.m.-ish, Eastern Time. And our intro music is a self-induced psychosis by my buddy, Mr. Kyle Wynn. Thank you for stopping by, hanging out with us tonight. Everybody have a great evening. Go slay some dragons. Good luck, adventurers.